Welcome you to the OTP. I'm Mike Keith, joined once again by Amy Wells. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. And the great Jim Wyatt, senior writer, editor from TitansOnline.com. Welcome back to the program, Jim. Thank you, Mike. Amy, how are you guys doing today? Good. Pretty good on this Friday, March the 16th. We start with the news of the day, and that is the Titans have decided to part ways with defensive lineman Carl Klug who will turn 30 at the end of this month, played for this team for seven years, originally drafted in the fifth round in 2011 at number 142 overall. Last season appeared in 15 games. He was inactive against Seattle, 26 tackles, one and a half sacks, coming off of surgery on an Achilles injury from 2016. He responded to play pretty well last year. In his career with the Titans, 111 games, eight starts. Carl Klug, 178 hits, 21 and a half sacks, 10 tackles for loss, five forced fumbles. Uh, Jim Wyatt, an incredibly productive player for the Titans in his seven seasons. Yeah, just a hard-working guy and a very popular guy with his teammates. I mean, you talk about team first, dependable guys, you know, uh, guys who put the team a- ahead of themselves. I mean, that's Carl Klug, fits him to a T. I mean, he did everything they asked him to do, uh, you know, proved durable. Unfortunately, he had the Achilles injury at the end of the 2016 season. But uh, one of the you know, toughest, classiest guys that certainly we've been around, and uh, he'll certainly be missed around here. One of the favorite players of three different head coaches, Mike Munchak, Ken Wisenhunt, and then Mike Malarkey, says a lot about how Klug was as a player and as a person for this organization. Carl Klug was the guy who embodied, you know, we talk about all the time, guys have a switch when they get on the field. Carl Klug, I think, illustrated that the best. You talk to him just around the building, throughout the day, nicest guy, kind of quiet, super agreeable, really easy to talk to. He gets on the field, and he is a monster. The guy, he... He had no off switch. He had no stop when he was on the football field. And I think coaches recognize that about him. His teammates obviously recognize that about him. And he was just a fun guy to watch. Here's something that most fans may not know, and I'll see if you agree or disagree, both of you. One of the five most fun Titans of all time to watch in practice. Yeah, there's no doubt. But it's because he, he was the guy when training camp started that uh, – that when you put money on who was going to be in the first fight, he would be in it. I mean, yes. you'd put your money on Carl Klug, and it would always surprise you who, who he gets into it with. But he just had a, a knack for – and Craig, when Craig Stevens was around, those are the guys that really butted heads. But he just had a knack for just you – know, he played to the whistle, just always wanted to get the last push in, uh, was always uh, – you know, he didn't use bad language, at least I, from when I was around, but he was always talking and trying to stir things up. Uh, and that's very true. I also remember about him as we kind of reflect on his time. I remember, uh, I guess, Amy and Ashley, you guys shot a video with him walking down the hall with Bo Brinkley doing like a duck call. It was one <laughs> of the funnier things you'd ever see. I remember on a hospital visit around Christmas time uh, when, when Marcus Mariota and Carl Klug were there and they would sing to some of the patients that were there. And he, 
he seemed to take great enjoyment in in uh, in singing rendition of Jingle Bells and uh, and kind of going with the ho hos in there. So he had a good, fun loving <laughs> way about him. Well put. But, uh, <laughs> going with ho. But he also was uh, he was a nasty player uh, on the field. At, at only 275 to 280 pounds, it never should have worked out for Carl Klug. And, and we don't know what he's going to do next. Maybe he decides to continue his career. I mean, this has literally just happened as we record this podcast. But one of our favorite people and one of our favorite players and will always be a Titan, no matter what happens next. And I think we'll probably, with his brother, Always be a part of this community. Oh, absolutely. His brother lives in Nashville. He has a, bu- a business around here. I know that Carl has really embraced this community here. He loves Nashville. His family is obviously here. So I have a feeling this is not the last that we will see of Carl Klug. There have been defensive line moves in this offseason for the Titans. Carl Klug has been let go by the Titans. Uh, David King is re-signed, is brought back to the team for this coming season. And then the big one of the week, Daquan Jones with a new contract. So one subtraction from the defensive line, two additions, guys that were already on your roster. Yeah, I think Daquan Jones was a big get. I mean, he was getting some early interest uh, in free agency. He ends up signing the multi-year extension. We saw him at the Pro Bowl. He's making a good recovery from the injury he suffered last year. He was a disruptive force before he got hurt. He was really coming on uh, and showing just the progress that he's been able to make during the course of his career. I think he's just getting started. So that was a good one. And then, you know, to get King here, who was traded for last year, I think another year in the system and another year to work here in Tennessee should serve him well. And you look at the Titans draft rundown coming up for April. They have picked 25, 57, 89, 125, 162, and 199. They have no seventh-round pick because they traded for David King, and yet he's still on the roster for this coming season, so it's like he's your seventh-round pick. In, in my mind, he did a nice job as a backup last year. We'll have a chance to take on more of a role this year. He, he in essence, is your seventh-round pick. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's a good way to look at it. And then we'll see what happens. I still think there's probably uh, interest and need to continue to add to the defensive line, whether that comes in free agency with some guys who are out there, whether it comes in the draft, uh, I think that's a possibility as well. But uh, a couple of key guys coming back. The Klug move will certainly fuel a lot of speculation that the Titans are going to stay active in free agency uh, in terms of what they're going to look for in the defensive line. But there are very good options in the draft too. And because they have Casey – and because they have Austin Johnson, and because they have a guy like Daquan Jones back, Sylvester Williams, and now obviously King as well, they're in a position where they don't have to be in any kind of hurry, I don't think. Yeah, and I think that's the good thing about this offseason is, uh, you know, the, the two moves have been made early. Malcolm Butler, Deion Lewis has solidified this team, given this team, you know, solid players who are going to contribute in a big way moving forward. When you look at the rest of rest of the roster uh you know there've been years we've been around here where you're looking to fill four five six spots for starters uh, i don't think that's necessarily the case i don't think you have the same sense of urgency now you've got a couple of i mean there's still some holes on this team that you're going to have to address but uh i don't think there's a panic uh, around here to get them filled here on march the 16th as we go into st patrick's day let's talk about malcolm butler 
because that one, I don't know how you felt, Jim. I think I know how Amy felt. I was dumbfounded. I'm driving. My phone comes, goes off. Uh, I come to an intersection, so I'm able to safely, <laughs> safely look at my phone. This feels fabricated. It, no, it's totally <laughs> true. I, I look down just at a light, and it says Malcolm Butler agrees to terms with the Titans. And I, I kind of think, I'm losing my mind. So I called Amy. Yep. And I'm, I said, listen, I'm driving, so I can't look at this. Is this for real? And she looks it up. She goes, Wow. Did you, did, I mean, it was shocking. I was shocked. I was floored. And so then Mike usually will tip me off if something big is coming. So the fact that you called me and didn't know it was coming no clue. is what made, I was like, there's no way this is real. And then sure enough. Were you shocked, Jim? Well, he's one of those guys that you knew is going to have a lot of interest uh, and whether or not this team would be able to put itself in a position to get him. That's another matter. Uh, I thought it was a, it was a pleasant surprise, certainly, and, and, uh, he's going to upgrade that secondary uh, in a big way. I mean, you look at Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan, Adoree Jackson. I still like Ty Smith, who came on in the last season, LaShawn Sims, who's had some good moments. You've got some depth now uh, at that cornerback spot and three top-line corners uh, to battle against the teams in the AFC South and then across the, the conference, across the league. Uh, you know, they match up about as well as anybody moving forward with young uh, talent at that position. He's, he's a great get. I, what I like about Butler is you can put him on a guy and say, go get him. Yeah. And then you could put a Bayard or a Cyprian or whomever over the top. But this is a player that you can definitely say, he's yours. And the, the, the thought of Ryan playing the nickel, especially with his blitzing ability his ability to play the run really excites me. You know, Mike, you, it's funny you say that because we were watching some of the Patriots um, film the other day, and he stuck with Corey Davis specifically time after time after time. And sometimes Corey got him, sometimes he got Corey. But the amount of times that he would just run with him, I mean, he is a fast guy, and if he catches you, you're going down. Yeah. He's a feisty guy, too. I mean, he's just a hardcore football guy, just the way he plays. Uh, that's the way he made that play in the Super Bowl as a rookie. He he cuts the route off in traffic and uh, aggressive going to f- get the football. It's the way he's been throughout his career. Uh, you know, Mississippi guy who remind me reminded me a heck of a lot of Steve McNair just the way he talked. I mean, he talked about how much he liked Steve and what a, how he was one of his heroes growing up. But he kept saying most definitely. And that's uh, when he would answer questions, most definitely, most definitely. That's exactly what Steve McNair used to say. They must teach him that in West Mississippi. Yeah, so it, it was incredible <laughs> listening to him talk and then remembering how Steve McNair used to use that same expression. Um, he said he found a picture of him in the building and kind of looked at it for a couple of seconds as he walked the hallways here. Uh, it's going to be fun to be around. He's a, he's a tough, hardworking kid. That and the humility. Yeah, the humility that he had was a lot like Steve's. The other thing, too, addressing what happened in Super Bowl 52, the fact that he did not play in the game on defense, which surprised a lot of people. Many have dug for what the reason was. I think he's done a great job taking it head on. He did a nice job as he left Boston earlier in the week, and he hit it right away here. Absolutely. He came out at the start of his press conference. People kind of started asking him questions, and they stopped it and said, he would like to speak first. He has something prepared. And came out and said, listen, I know what you guys want to know. 
here's what happened. It was a coaching decision. I respect that decision. I feel fine with this. Let's move on. I'm a Titan now. He, he showed a lot of respect to you know, Robert Kraft, you know, Bill Belichick, his teammates. I thought it said a lot. I mean, it, it, I know the Boston Herald talked to him, and he talked about how Tom Brady reached out to him a couple of different times. I think that says a lot. You know, for a guy like Tom Brady to reach out to a guy on the other side of the football to make sure he's okay, uh, you know, and to have it shows you that Brady respects the way he works and the way he goes about his business. You're really hitting something important there to me. I don't know what did or didn't happen. I don't know if anything happened. At this point, he's a Titan, so I don't think anybody here really cares. But the fact that his teammates stuck up for him, the fact that his teammates called him, in, in a long time of doing this, how the, how the guys in the locker room react often tells you what the story is. If that's the case, that certainly leads me to believe him because, Jim, his teammates left and right, including Brady, have stepped forward for him. They did, and they don't do that for a guy who's a phony or for a guy right. who really did something that was out of line. They do that for a guy who fights for him and, and works hard and, uh, and puts the time in to, to do the job that they expect him to do in New England. I understand he was here you know, at the facility this morning running sprints on the practice field really? right out of the gate uh, the day after signing a contract. So I think that's what this guy is all about. I mean, he's just a hardcore football guy and teammates respect that and I think I think guys will respect that around here this guy comes in here with you know obviously a big money deal I mean you, you get signed early on in free agency you're not getting signed signed for chump change I mean this, this guy is going to now have to earn it people are going to look at him differently but he's ready to take it on well Mike you had a conversation with him yesterday after his press conference and um, you kind of asked him if the money's going to change him and I am really excited about him. I'm excited to hear that he was out here running the day after he signed. I think he's going to be a guy that is going to want to prove that he's worth the amount of money that he's making as opposed to saying, well, hands, hands are clean. I got my money. So like I, Logan Ryan did. Yeah, I'm excited. I am excited about Malcolm Butler being a Tennessee Titan. Also excited about Deion Lewis, which was not as big a surprise because it was rumored very early on that the Titans had targeted him. He, he certainly fits a need to be a veteran back. I think we get the idea now that this is going to be a stable. It's going to continue to be like it was with DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry, like what we saw Philadelphia do in the Super Bowl, the use of multiple backs. Deion Lewis in the press conference – Broke down. Mm -hmm. What did you think, Amy, when you saw that? And for those who haven't seen the tape, give us a quick explanation of why you think he broke down. There was a question asked of him about why Tennessee, what he liked about being here. And he alluded to the fact that he felt wanted here. He said in his whole life, he's always been told he was too small. He wasn't going to make it. He's never really felt like he was wanted anywhere. And here he felt wanted. He felt desired. And he got a little choked up about it. He, uh, he, he got a little misty. And I think the gravity of the moment, um, I think he felt some validation in that moment. I think that he, I think it all kind of hit him at once. And unfortunately, it was in front of a bunch of cameras and reporters. But I think, I think he just had a moment. And that just, it really struck with, it really struck me 
how big that moment was for him. And I thought it was great. I mean, I, we, we were around these players so much, and, and uh, every, all of them have different personalities. But to see a guy get emotional, it shows you how much it means to him. I mean, it's uh, – and he, he broke down on several occasions. Every time he started going down that road of, of what it took to get here and, and being rewarded and having people believe in him, he, he had to start to fight back the tears. You know, if some of his family members were there. I think he kind of caught them – uh, in the corner of his eyes, he was kind of talking through some of this, and that caused him uh, to ch- to get choked up a little bit. I talked to him in the hallway, uh, you know, uh, maybe ten minutes after, just to kind of ask him where that came from. And I know he's uh, said some of the th- same things he said to you, and you talked to him during your one-on-one interview, just about how this is a guy who had injuries early on in his career. He ha- he was out of football. Uh, people were giving up on him. He wondered if he was ever going to get a chance to play in the league. And for him to have the perseverance to be able to fight back, overcome some of that stuff, uh, you know, that's what got him to where he is today. And uh, he's not stopping now. That's one thing he said. I mean, all these the, – the, you know, what Amy talked about, him, people saying he was too short or not fast enough, uh, couldn't do this and couldn't do that. That's, that's what motivates him now. And now he's going to have people say, well, this guy doesn't deserve the kind of money he came here for. Now, that's going to be his driving force now to prove people that the Titans – and prove that the Titans made the right call on him. Kind of ironic that he was taken seven picks after Carl Klug in the 2011 draft. So they were both fifth-rounders. Carl, some would say, shouldn't have been able to do what he did. And now Deion Lewis, after missing three full seasons of football – Amazing. For different reasons, with injuries, just being cut. He's 5'8", he weighs 195 pounds, he ran 4'5'6 at the combine, which is fast to the average human, but not fast if you're not a big back. All this guy can do is play. That's all he, yeah. all, all he can do is really play football. And we went back and sat down and broke down the playoff game, the divisional round game, Tennessee at New England, to watch what they ran with him. It was amazing how much they run him inside. It was amazing how well he ran inside. His hands are outstanding. He ran back kicks in that game. I mean, I was really blown away. I thought he played well that night, but I must admit, after losing that and getting eliminated, I did not go back and watch that game after the fact until now. I blocked it out. I kind of tried to, too. I I admit it. I just wanted to move away and be alone for a while. I admit it. It was hard to block him out, though, because he no, was, he he was all great. over the field. Yeah. What did he have, eight, nine catches in that game? He had nine and catches. That. He had 141 total yards or 142 total yards, something like that. He had over 60 yards rushing on 15 carries. Again, the majority of those in between the tackles. And then he had nine catches in the ball game and made one absolutely spectacular play on a screen, first play of the second quarter, Rolling on top of Wesley Woodyard yep. at, at the mm-hmm. end of a 30-plus yard gain, didn't think he was down, and kept going, showed his strength and his power to roll over and keep going. Eventually, he was ruled down by replay, but the, but the fact of the matter was it showed everything in his game, his hands, his running ability, that he's hard to tackle, that he's a smart player. Uh, all of those things showed up. How many times when we were watching that, game did we admire his just overall football awareness he seems to have eyes that are bigger than anyone else on that field when the football is in his hands he knows just in that play with Wesley Woodyard he knows where his body is in space he knows that he can get up he's he's great 
Tom Brady trusted him. Mm-hmm. Perfect player for them to go out and get for Matt LaFleur in this offense and more significantly for Marcus Mariota. Yeah, and now the question becomes how is he going to be used? Obviously, he can do all those things he did in New England, catch the ball out of the backfield. He can run outside. He can run in between the tackles. We can't forget, and, and not, none of us is forgetting, that Derrick Henry is on this team. Absolutely. So how, does he, how do, how do the, the coaches make it work with these guys? Uh, you know, I, I thought Deion Lewis was smart. Not that he did it by intentionally, but he, he showed Derrick Henry a lot of respect at the press conference yesterday, just talking about him, looking forward to working with him. You know, Derrick Henry, just this time last week after seeing DeMarco Murray release, is thinking, okay, this is my show. I even retweeted a Titans tweet uh, from last week, talking about how he now steps in into the spotlight and says, say no more, and now he's got company in the backfield, which we all knew was going to happen. Now how does Matt LaFleur, uh, Mike Vrabel, uh, this entire team use these two guys together? I think it's a perfect fit. One guy's a bruiser, one guy's a, 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 a smaller, quicker guy who can do a number of things. I think it's great to have them both, and Deion Lewis even said it himself, I mean, they can feed off of one another. I hate to get off of Dion Lewis because we're so excited he's here, but have you guys seen Derrick Henry on social media recently? I, I haven't. I think it is possible that he is bigger than he was last year. That guy, he, he expands. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. He's wearing the mask. He's lifting. He's the mask. Well, those masks, the <laughs> oxygen yeah. oh, limiting okay. masks yeah. scary, scary that makes him, him that. look yeah. like say, is he gonna Bane. Be from unknown? <laughs> <laughs> he looks like the uh, bad guy Bane from Hannibal Lecter or Bane. Bat- yep. Yeah, from yep. B- is that Batman? I don't that's know. Right, the that's right. That's right. Bane is right. <laughs> yeah. Bane is Hannibal um, Lecter. Silence of the Lambs. Yes. That's yeah. old school. Mike. I was Mike. thinking about Mister Wrestling actually <laughs> wearing the mask and being from Parts Unknown, but that's a different story. But he, uh, he's giant. He's wearing that mask. He's lifting things that look like tree trunks and cars. I don't know what they actually are, but he just seems like he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do next year. I don't think this hurts him. I I really don't because I see what Matt LaFleur wants to do in the offense a lot like what I saw out of Philadelphia with Doug Peterson in terms of multiple looks – and all of the different things that go with that offense. And look, they use three backs in the Super Bowl, effectively, mm-hmm. including a huge back that we know well in LeGarrette Blunt. So I think they're different roles. The other thing I think this does, too, not only does it keep David Flewellen potentially in the mix, but it also allows the Titans to not have to pick a running back early in this draft and to maybe mine somebody in day three of the draft, and there are some sensational backs that are going to be available in day three of this draft just because teams undervalue running backs. And I've been studying the list. I mean, there are going to be some big names that our college football fans know well that they will have a chance to pick if they decide to do that, or it could be an undrafted free agent. In other words, I think they have the opportunity to maybe focus draft picks on other positions where they want to gain strength and maybe grab someone of tremendous value on day three at the running back position. Yeah, I would agree with that because uh, you know, I think you know, we, early on we saw some of the mock drafts projecting a, a, tight, a running back to the Titans at 25. 
look crazy. Then DeMarco Murray's cut, and you think, well, maybe it's a possibility. Then sure. Deion Lewis is added, and then that kind of shifts to a second, more of a secondary need now. But I, I, I'm with you, and then I still wouldn't rule it out being an addition. I think it goes from being a you know a first round, second round pick to potentially a later pick. And, and I do agree that you can get if you find the right guy, you can get somebody that can help you. Um, you know, even on the third day. One of those big names that may be a second day or a third day, John Kelly from Tennessee, going to run on Monday at Tennessee's Pro Day, and that's obviously a, a big thing for John Kelly. But he's one of those types of names that you're, many would sit there and think, man, if I could have a John Kelly or a Kellen Balage from Arizona State or you know, a running back of that ilk, you're thinking to yourself, boy, that's, a, that's an interesting option. See, this is why I think we shouldn't even do mock drafts, anything like that, until after free no, agency. No, we love mock drafts. I know. I know everybody does, but it changes so much. All right. Let me take you in a different direction, Amy Wells, and ask you this question. Should we do the draft before free agency, which has been suggested a, a great deal? No. No? No. <laughs> no. I, I, <sighs> See, that, well, I think it's an interesting conversation that if you had the draft – before free agency, it might put more money in the pockets of more players, especially guys who maybe aren't the front-line guys, but because of somebody's need, what they didn't get in the draft, suddenly they say, you know, I need player X at $2 million instead of $1 million. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I, th- I think the NFLPA, I, mean, I think players would not necessarily want to see that happen because you – you a lot of teams are are doing things in free agency because you don't know what you're going to get in the draft necessarily. Uh, you know, you may like a certain guy, but teams could jump you on that player if you if you've got uh, you know if you if you switch the order, uh, you're going to have some guys miss out on on contracts. See, I kind of agree with Jim. I like the idea of s- plugging some holes and supplementing your team with proven players, guys that already have gotten this far first, and then supplementing with the next generation. I'm for proven players getting paid. Yes. Whether they be starters or backups or special teams, if you have gone out and earned it, if you have put in the time, Mm -hmm. then I think, you know, whether it's the draft first or free agency first, and I'm not smart enough to figure out which would be better, but – I always want to see the fellows earn that money. That's why when you see Malcolm Butler from Vicksburg, Mississippi, Heinz Community College, West Alabama Tiger, and you see him getting paid, it's like, good for you. Deion Lewis getting his money, good for you. Even some Titans who leave, I guess Avery Williamson, hate to see him leave, (sighs) but it's a Reportedly a really good contract yeah. with mm-hmm. the Jets. Good deal yeah. for him. Well, you're happy for – he was a fifth-round pick. Mm-hmm. Seems to be the theme of our show today, talking about, <laughs> uh, about fifth-round picks. All right, so the Titans have lost Carl Klug. Yes. Avery Williamson, he's to the Jets, and then Curtis Riley is the other one at this point. That's correct. To the Giants. Okay. And then, obviously, we talked on last week's podcast about players who were waived including Matt Castle, Titans still in pursuit of a backup quarterback and going to have to make that happen at some point. DeMarco Murray is another one. Uh, Deion Lewis obviously takes that spot more or less. 
Uh, Denora Searcy at safety, and with the departure of Curtis Riley to the Giants, right? Yes. That is correct. Okay. They're probably out there going to be looking for a veteran safety or maybe looking for another safety or two in this draft. There are a bunch of good ones uh, at this point. So all of those things are in place. The Titans have done a lot of work. Ryan Suckup's still here. We mentioned David King's still here. Daquan Jones still here. Picked up Luke Stocker's option, which I think is big because you don't need a fullback now due to the fact that Stocker can line up in that spot. He played well at the end of last year. Yeah, I think fortunate to get him late. I think he fits exactly what uh, coaching staff wants to do. And then the other one, Josh Klein. Keeping your right guard at a price that when you sort of delve into it seems like a really good deal. On paper, you're like, whoa, that's a lot of money. But for, for what he gives you, the stability, how well he has played, Nice to get that done. Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at some of the deals that the other guards got. I mean, I thought it was a, a fair deal for the team and for him. Uh, I think he's a good fit in the offense moving forward. Uh, with, what, what's going to be asked of him? I think he's an athletic player. Quentin Spain offered the tender. I'm going to be curious to see if teams, if other teams come after him, and if they do, how this team might react to an offer from another team. Uh, that's one that that. You know, will have to be monitored uh, over the course of the next uh, several weeks. But uh, some holes filled, some uh, with familiar faces, obviously a couple of new additions. But, you know, you mentioned backup quarterback, maybe inside linebacker, uh, safety, I think. And then we talked about the defensive line. I think you still have some needs that need to be addressed. That could still come free agency. Obviously, you can have the draft as a fallback plan. I'll tell you what, I've been talking about the defensive line since the end of the 2017 season. I want to see it in the draft. I want to see it in free agency. I, I love defensive players. Do you include outside linebacker in your defensive line because they're kind of. past? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because still, they still need to address outside linebacker, you know, edge rusher, whatever, however right. you want to call it. and. That's been the majority of my study towards the draft. Is I, and, and there are some awfully good players who seem to fit a 3-4. Mm -hmm. I, I think there could be a player like that at 25. I certainly think in the second and third round, there's going to be great value there because some of those guys are 6-1. You know, and, and, you know, when you're 6 253 at linebacker, and, you know, you're a 3-4 edge guy. You're not a 4-3 put-your-hand-down type of guy. Yeah, and uh, and that's another one, that the position that I think is relatively deep. If you don't get somebody right out of the gate, you potentially could go into second round, maybe uh, even third day to get a guy that can help you. Or I'll, two. I want someone right. that's like 6-5. I want a monster. <laughs> well, there, there's I want him to be big, and I want him to be fast. Well, there's Marcus Davenport from mm -hmm. the Texas San Antonio, who is that 6'5", 260-pound guy. Uh, Arden Key from LSU, one of the most intriguing players in this draft because of the fact that he took the four months off from LSU last spring after 12 sacks, uh, an LSU record, 12 sacks in 2016. He leaves the team, leaves the program, doesn't do summer workouts, has a shoulder surgery, comes back very heavy, uh, doesn't play great in 2017, battles some injuries, but... Man, did he look good at the combine. 
Yeah, he's a good-looking athlete. I mean, he's a tall, lanky guy who uh, who is intriguing, and uh, that's a position to need. I mean, the guys there are not getting younger. I know Mike Vrabel talked about Kevin Dodd and, and wanting to be a guy he takes under his wing as a little bit of a reclamation project. Uh, you know, Dodd has had some bad luck here, obviously, with the foot injury right, right. out of the gate and has been playing behind some proven veterans. Uh, does he have uh, a, a second win, or does he have a resurgence in him? I think I'm anxious to see. I, I know there's some people in the building who believe that he, more could have been gotten out of him uh, here early in his career just by trying different techniques, coaching techniques. Now he's got a new coaching staff to try to hammer some of that stuff home. So I'm curious to see what he has in him. But that, but that's an area that's going to have to be addressed. One of the things that I have enjoyed the most about this first week of free agency has been the fan reaction because I, I read, you know, I read blogs and, and I listen to Titans podcasts and, and I obviously hear people talk on, on talk radio shows. People really get John Robinson. Titans fans and people who follow this team, they totally get it. There was no panic out there among those folks because they're like, hey, JR's got this. He, he's got a plan. And I think they know that even though he doesn't move the fastest, he's always moving and he's always got something up his sleeve, which this weekend, early next week, we all expect he's going to throw something else down and you're going to go, whoa, hmm. how did he do that? Yeah. He's one of the most trusted executives that I've seen in a long time. I mean, no fan worries that John Robinson is the one driving the train. It's hard. Nobody. To, it's hard to get that credibility, right. too. Right, and it's amazing that he's done it in such a short amount of time. I mean, John Robinson has been here for two seasons, and fans just trust that he knows what he's doing, and he's gained that credibility, and everything that he has said, he has backed up, and I think fans respect that. Yeah, and, and the fact he has such a good track record, I mean, and is, it's – People were not used to seeing a GM being the wheeler and dealer that he has been. I mean, 10 trades in his first couple of years on the job. Uh, it's in his blood. I mean, he's talked before about watching his dad trade tractors and <laughs> coon dogs and, uh, and you name it, uh, you know, in West Tennessee. And people saw him at that first press conference where he got emotional, and they've seen him at other times get emotional and talk about how much this means to him. He's going to get it right, and uh, fans trust that he's going to get it right. Uh, he's made some really good moves, and like and like you said, Mike, I mean, you never know what is up his sleeve. I mean, he's, he's so, some GMs around here in previous years have been a little bit more predictable about how they're going to handle things. You never know what's going to happen with John Robinson. No, you absolutely don't. And the other thing, too, the kind of contracts that he negotiates, it's just like what he did with DeMarco Murray. He knew that he had a good out after two years. And for two years, DeMarco Murray really got paid, which makes the player happy. But then, it was, and the contract was obviously reported to be bigger than it was, or reported to be bigger than what it turned out to be, because, I mean, it's really what the guaranteed money is when it comes down to it. And you can bet with the deals that he's made now, whether they be listed as you know four or five or six-year deals, He's going to have outs at different points where he has flexibility to make whatever move he wants to without having tons of dead money. And that's a huge key in all of this. Yeah, I mean, it's a smart, he's a smart negotiator. 
Ben Marino obviously deserves a lot of credit too for negotiating some of these contracts and and working with the agents and uh, that that is what's remarkable. Some teams get stuck with guys uh, because of the way the salaries and, and contracts are set up. Uh, that's one thing John Robinson doesn't want to have happen to him. It's very clear that both John and Vin are playing the long game here. They're not just focused on this year and next year. They're they're playing three and five years down the road. But you're right, and, and you're 100% right. And knowing that Mariota's deal is coming up and that he is going to take a bigger portion of the cap going forward, that's important. But the, the amazing thing about what they do well that has impressed me is they do have the one-year flexibility. So if they want to go out and grab a guy saying, for this Titans team, he can make us better, they still have room to do that but they're not married to that player forever. What, and you touched on it, Jim. What always stands out to me is a player that is, it's cheaper to actually have him on the team than to cut him. Yeah. So if you want to get rid of him, it doesn't make any sense because his cap number is lower if you have him than if you let him go. You, and then you can't make a decision realistically. You're stuck. John Robinson doesn't ever want to be stuck in the long game, as you refer to, Amy, or in the short game. Right. I hope he's listening to this podcast because we're saying really nice things he's about not. him. He's not. Trust me. <laughs> Come on, John. He has no interest in what we're doing right now at all. So a big week upcoming. Uh, Amy on her way to Houston for the Oilers reunion, a really nice thing mm-hmm. that uh, Amy Adams Strunk is doing for the, and, and a lot of former Titans who were Oilers going to be there. Absolutely. I'm getting on a plane in a couple of hours and heading down to Houston for the weekend. But yeah, there's going to be um, a lot of familiar faces down there, I think. I think there's going to be some people who um, have been around the organization but are excited to do the whole Oilers thing. They're playing Top Golf. I'm so excited. And there's going to be a big dinner reception, so I'm really excited. Just the continuation of Amy Adams Strunk trying to pull all parts of the organization together. Yeah, I think she's done a great job with that. And, uh, you know, you can see the homecomings here in Nashville, just how they've grown. I mean, it used to be a handful of guys. Last year there were so many guys here that couldn't figure out the best way to, to get them all recognized. You had to bring them out in decades instead of doing a one-by-one because you only get a certain amount of time at halftime. So – uh, I think it's great for players to feel like they're involved. I know Robert Brazil, you know, when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, announced that he's, he announced that he'd made the Hall of Fame. One of the things he said, Amy Adams Strunk reached out to him, congratulated him, and then wished him luck beforehand. And he thought that meant so, that meant so much to him because he remembers her as a little girl. He said when he played right. for her uh, her father's teams and. Uh, for him to feel like he's uh, been embraced and to feel like people in Nashville rooting for him, I think it means a lot. we got Tennessee Pro Day coming up on Monday, which is the next big one. You've been to Vanderbilt in Alabama, Amy. Yeah. I'm going to go to Tennessee. And uh, a lot of free agency news at TitansOnline.com. Jim, you're going to be a busy, busy guy, I think. Yeah, I mean, we've still got stuff that's going to be played out here over the next week. Uh, and then, obviously, then Amy, uh, myself, uh, Ashley Farrell will head to uh, the owners' meetings in Orlando, where Amy Adams Strunk will be there. John Robinson will be there. Mike Vrabel will be there, uh, and we'll spend time with him at his coach's breakfast there, where he's going to talk for an hour. And I'm sure he's going to have a lot of people visiting his table just about 
things that have happened during his time here and then the vision he has moving forward. So, uh, And then we're going to have draft visitors coming in here before too long. The draft will be here before we the know it. The uniform unveiling, April that's, 4th. That's very true. How I many, can't yeah. skip by, by what that What if we one. could each get $5 for everyone who asks us about the uniforms? I would quit my job we would be if done. I got $5. We would be able to move to – to a, an island somewhere, wouldn't we? It's incredible. I mean, that, that's the biggest question that I get on a consistent basis, whether I'm walking around uh, Kroger or whether I'm on Twitter. Uh, you know, people are trying every way to get me to tell them something about the uniform, sending me something they've seen on Reddit. Hey, is this true? Buddy of mine in a sports, sporting goods store tell, t- telling me they look like this. I tell people I plead the fifth. Until the fourth, and that's April fourth. Nice. 4th. Yep. I like how you did that, uh, Jim. Yes, that's almost you never as good let me as down. Amy's. He's wearing a mask. Line. It's <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. All right. Get on Instagram. So it's thank fair. you for being part of the OTP. We're glad you were with us, Jim White. Thank you as Appreciate always. It. Amy Wells, enjoy your trip to the reunion this weekend. I shall. And uh, we'll have a lot more. And remember, keep up with Jim Wyatt and everything he does at TitansOnline.com and, and obviously on Twitter at. At J. White Sports. At J. White Sports. Amy Wells on Twitter as well. At Titans Amy. Titans Amy. You keep up with everything going on. You might tweet a picture or two from the, the reunion. Oh, heck yes, I will. All right. I'll be all over it. All right. Good stuff. Thanks to Jeff Harding, too, the man who makes the OTP go. And thanks to you for listening and for taking part. And most of all, for subscribing to the official Titans podcast, better known as the OTP. Woo-hoo.